right. We're live. First episode. Uh, so welcome to Partner Up Partnerships Podcast, uh, where Kevin and I, we unpack all things partnerships and uh, partner related. And this first episode is brought to you uh, by Crossbeam. Crossbeam is a partner ecosystem platform. Uh, it acts as a data escrow service that finds overlapping customers and prospects with your partners while keeping the rest of your data private and secure. So you can sign up for free at crossbeam.com. I'm in a big pilot right now. Kevin, I know you're a customer, so I'm happy to have um, uh, Crossbeam sponsoring the show. But uh, this is our first one. Kevin, it's our first one. It's our, our first, first podcast, podcast Jared. I'm um, excited. Where do we want to kick this one off at? Because we have a storied history together. We do. Yeah. So I think. If you go back, we met in 2015 at HubSpot's Inbound Conference, and this was actually my first day of work at Inbound. I don't know if you or at HubSpot. I don't know if you knew that, but that was my first day uh, there. We met at the conference, and uh, we we kind of like kicked it off. We knew there was something there, um, and uh, I, I wanted to work with you. But why don't you? talk about like what you wanted to get out of that conference or out of the partnership with HubSpot. And then we could talk about how that eventually. Yeah. So you were director of partnerships at HubSpot and that was your first day at Inbound. And then I was heading partnerships and uh, sales at a company called PandaDoc. Um, gosh. So like I have a lot of philosophies and, and you do too, Kevin, on how to land your first, I call them sumo. Um, so many companies try to go out and partner with, you know, 50 different uh, alliances, right? So in this situation, Pandadoc's, uh, you know, definitely the David HubSpot was the up and coming Goliath. I mean, HubSpot CRM was, it's pretty new in 2015, but growing like wildfire. It was just launched. Um, so yeah, it, it grew slowly, um, after that, uh, kind of like wildfire, but, um, it was kind of just launching around, um, ML. We were pretty much a marketing automation. And you didn't even have an API yet at around that no API. No API. So right. um, I had this theory that like that HubSpot was just going to dominate the CRM market because, well, you launched it for free. Right. And um, Pandadoc, we'd, we'd had some traction with uh, like Pipedrive and a couple other alliances where we integrated with CRM and you could send a document right from CRM. And I just thought, I think HubSpot's going to just take off here. So I actually, um, I pinged Brad Coffee back in the day and I said, hey, um, I think I emailed him, I don't know, umpteen times and, uh, was like, I'm going to be your number one partner for CRM. And he's like, that's cute. We don't even have APIs. Good luck. <laughs> and, uh, what we did is, I don't know if you remember this. We actually, we shipped a Chrome extension, Pandadoc Chrome extension for HubSpot. So that way you could send documents. So like we were demonstrating product value before there was even, you know, APIs. So I think we actually had customers using both solutions whenever we met at that conference. And I think you and Brad were kind of like, how are we already partnering? There's not even APIs yet. Yeah. What struck me about uh, you, Jared, was that you had bet arguably the earliest uh, of any of our partners on the HubSpot CRM and you built something, um, you know, you kind of like hacked your way into the ecosystem in a clever way. Um, and I think that that early bet really paid off for PandaDoc. I mean, you were in our ecosystem before any of our other competitors uh, in your space. And um, that I think was a big part of your so success. So tell me, tell me a little bit uh, about how you and Brad and like, you know, kind of the partner team started to think about what eventually became HubSpot Connect, right? 
and you you're you're working with me and you're saying like okay what what does good look like from you know an isv ecosystem like what are the types of companies that you were looking towards and what were the things that they were doing and i don't know if i was doing some of them i think we could talk about where this relationship went um that that made that stand out sure yeah so sequoia was our uh, lead investor and they made uh, everybody read as we you know we had just ipo'd we were a marketing automation company we were trying to branch out and be like a true platform but we weren't sure if we could pull it off i mean this was before we had done that so um sequoia made everybody at hubspot read platform revolution uh-huh. uh, and so that was interesting and in how that helped us really align internally on this mission to become uh, a platform. And so we knew we had to build out HubSpot Connect. Um, what we did was we just, we looked at, um, you know, uh, other competitors in our space, what uh, uh, we, we learned what kind of like the best categories and the best partners were in those ecosystems. We went out and targeted them. Once we opened up our APIs on our CRM, we invited them to be a part of the developer community, um, really uh, encouraged them to build an integration and that we could grow together. Um, and so building out a program around Typeform Connect was really, um, I mean, we, we had to do that in order to incentivize uh, developers and SaaS companies to build on us like Pandadoc. Um, to show them that there was going to be an ROI if you do this. If you build on our platform, we're going to give you something. We're going to, uh, we're, we're really good at marketing. We can do joint, um, uh, you know, we can do blog posts, we can do ebooks, we can do webinars, uh, things to uh, distribute the partner and showcase the integration. And so uh, we kind of built a program around that. That was the, the beginning of Typeform Connect. Spot Connect. And then you're typeformed. Uh, sorry. I'll, I'll do that too. We'll, we'll, we'll change company names throughout this where I, we're at different companies. I'm at drift now you're a Typeform, Um, but yeah. And this whole time we, we've, we've kept working together, which is funny, but, uh, yeah, so this is HubSpot connect of course. And, um, uh, then over time, you know, as we saw partners like Pandadoc building on our platform, we could see traction of those partners and Pandadoc was really one of the first partners we saw build on our. CRM APIs, where we saw really, really fast traction. I believe you were our fastest growing partner in 2015 or 2016, or maybe both. Um, and we knew that uh, this category was really important to our product. So um, what ended up happening was your success led to me reaching out to your competitors, inviting them into the ecosystem. But because you had that head start, uh, we saw the most success with Pandadoc. Um, and uh, that that's to your and um, your yeah, CEO, absolutely. Right? The team was the team was great around this initiative. And I think one of my philosophies is that whenever you're picking that sumo, like it's all about being number one, right? It's being if you're not first, you better be best, right? And that was a stated objective. I don't know how many times I told you or Brad that I'm I am and I am going to be your number one partner. Um, and it's funny. I've, done the same thing adrift with like Marketo and, and Adobe. Like I, we speak in those terms for a very you know purposeful reason. But whenever you were looking at some of that early data in the beginning, I, I know we were sharing stuff around, you know, act, you know, weekly active users, right? So we had a strong weekly active user use case in that 
sales reps were sending, you know, deals like they're closing, closing deals, which reinforced the value of HubSpot CRM. Tell me how you started to think about, you know, from a, cause we're kind of trying to extrapolate here. How does a bigger company think about the value of a smaller company to its ecosystem? How did you start to formulate those kind of KPIs and think through like, Hey, what is our North star here? Is it, you know, we- weekly active users? Is it, you know, reduction in churn? Is it activations? Um, how did you start to think about that? Yeah, it's definitely, we had a couple of metrics on our mind. So um, monthly active users or monthly active installs uh, were something that we were like monitoring closely. Um, but we always knew that this was like more of a retention play than acquisition play, or at least, um, you know, retention was really important here because we knew that if you had uh, one of our one of our users that had no uh integrations installed versus one versus two versus three or four integrations installed, the retention just uh, exponentially increased to the point where we had uh, um, uh, like positive retention uh, above uh, four uh, installs. So if we could get our users to install four pieces of software, that was really the sweet spot for us around retention. But incrementally it increased um this, from that's zero. interesting because um, it's funny because there's two different objectives here right like i'm thinking acquisition and you're thinking retention yeah and how those two things interplay seems like that applies more universally to how partnerships professionals whether you're partnering down or partnering up right like in this situation this is a example of partnering up right like i'm trying to go to market with hubspot and make hubspot you know, really distribute us to your customer base. So you needed to see strong retention uh, mechanisms inside of there, right? And we were one of the first adopters of, of the APIs in the platform in order to do things that were you know different. I remember at one point, I, I guarantee it's not around today because this was crazy. At one point, I was able to work with you and the team and we got into the HubSpot CRM onboarding journey, the email journey that went out to every single person. It was like, you know, connect your integrations and it was like PandaDoc was right there. Right. Like, and we saw, we saw a bunch of traffic and a bunch of installs from that. Like, oh yeah, I can close deals right from CRM. This is great. But you, you got to have those things, you know, defined. It's like, well, what's important for the partner? Like what well, we, we had to solve some churn things. And the reality was, is that I think SMB CRM churn, like of what I know about pipe drive and close and HubSpot and Pro- C- copper, AKA formerly known as prosper works and all the CRMs I've worked with all of them is that 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 space is pretty ripe for churn, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong, we were still interested in distribution, but I think um, when you're a partner like PandaDoc, you're looking at HubSpot as um, a path to distribution if if uh, you can secure the right partnership. And we were looking at, you know, at HubSpot, we were looking at Google right. and Facebook and LinkedIn and part, you know, like these uh, companies that are even bigger than us uh, for the majority or for like really big strategic distribution plays. And the way I was looking at the platform was like looking at our uh, developer partners like PandaDoc um, as uh, more of a retention play for us. I mean, the number one reason uh, sales person would lose a deal at HubSpot or, you know, other companies that I, other software companies that I've talked to is because um, the prospects tech stack doesn't integrate into 
uh, your solution. So, um, you know, getting uh, filling in as many gaps with partners as possible really prevented us from losing deals on the sales side. It was a huge retention play. Um, and uh, we, we measured retention probably um, uh, or we weighted it a little bit more than we did uh, distribution from. Uh, right. Because you, you didn't have API partners that were you know bigger than HubSpot per se. Right. In that in that situation. That, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had Salesforce and stuff, but like we built those. Right. Typically, like we built the integrations for partners bigger than us. They weren't going to give us like a whole lot. And we were actually getting better distribution from Pandadoc, from the partnership that we built with Pandadoc than we were, say, with like Salesforce, um, which uh, we would just use to, if we were talking to a prospect and they were on Salesforce, we had to have an integration with Salesforce in order to close that deal. But um, uh, we, we weren't getting a lot of distribution. That, that's interesting because I remember in those, like in the beginning, it was a bet, you know, that I believed in Makita and Sergey, like we all believed this is going to be number one. I remember telling Makita and Sergey, we're going to be their number one partner. And they're like, okay, we, we'll dedicate the resources, but we'll see. I, and then, um, I remember you yeah, that said there, it a lot. So. Every time that there's a, a sumo I want, I, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. And what, what I remember ended up happening, you know, like we grew into multiple offices, right? Like whenever I was first talking to you, I think that was an apartment in San Francisco that I was living in for like a month, you know, that was the Pandadoc office. I mean, so that's how early it was. And then when we got, you know, multiple offices and teams, and we grew, I remember hearing phone calls where people were asking us what we recommended. And my sales team would, would always say, you know, HubSpot. Like, yeah, we, we have a great partnership with HubSpot. What, what, it, how do you think, you got, how do you think, yeah, I guess I'm curious from a HubSpot uh, standpoint is what did we do to get your sales team to recommend? Well, they started to see leads come in from HubSpot, right? So it was, it was okay. that that virtuous cycle that most the great partnerships are built upon that business has to go both directions right and yeah that's when i've seen things really just sing is when it really is going both directions because we had a lot of people that were like unsatisfied with their current solution but they needed to close deals so we sat at a very important inflection point right like Pandadoc's the thing that they're going to use to close deals and once they've closed a deal with Pandadoc, the likelihood that they stayed went, went way up right did your was your sales team influenced at all by the like, the functionality of the integration specifically with HubSpot? Like, in other words, did the integration add something from on a product level that other partners didn't have, or was it really truly just the fact that like we were delivering leads, your sales team was happy with that? And they it was the alliance that did it because part of our yeah. sales motion it was hilarious. Uh, thinking back to this now, it's the first time I've thought about this in years is the way that we would demo PandaDoc is I had this Trello board and like this single sign-on solution that had demo instances of like 15 CRMs so that the sales rep could jump into that CRM that the prospect was using, right? And send a document out of that CRM, like Insightly or Pipedrive or, or whatever. Um, so like to show them the workflow yeah. in their day in the life. Right. So it was it wasn't like a solutions consultant, you know, completely custom demo, but it was personalized enough to make sense. So technically a rep could have recommended, you know, any of those. Um, but I think it was the, hey, you know, I've seen some good leads come in from HubSpot um, that I've closed. So I'm going to recommend the one that's, you know, helping me out. 
right? If I, and, and there was executive alignment around that. Like we talked about the HubSpot partnership and alliance. Um, and then that grew to, you know, some interesting conversations that, uh, um, ended up leading to, you know, HubSpot investing in, in the, in the series B. Right. And I think that really solidified it where, you know, we took this idea and it turned into, you know, like a best in class kind of partnership for SMB sales productivity and SMB CRM. And, uh, you know, HubSpot's a, an owner in Pandadoc now. Yeah. So th this is actually one of the, um, the best partnerships, uh, we, or I ever created at, uh, HubSpot and, um, ho hopefully yeah. you would say the same thing about uh, your work at Panadoc. But as you mentioned, so the, the partnership was so successful. We saw so much traction, um, that, uh, Panadoc was the first company that we invested in from the HubSpot. It was Ventures. the first. I remember that. Um, right. I was working with, um, oh gosh, he's at G2 now. Uh, what's his name? The CMO of G2. Yeah, Ryan I was Bonici. working with Ryan on the press release. I remember that now. And he was like, yeah, this is the first yeah, one. That's right. Yeah. So what we were able to see was how quickly um, this um, integration was kind of like picking up amongst our users, how much value this integration was adding to our users that we, could, we, we had kind of like access to this uh, data as it pertained to our ecosystem on the back end where we, we could see how quickly this was growing in the traction. And that was a big part of um, our thesis when we created the HubSpot Ventures program was that we should be able to look at the data sets that we have around our platform and invest in companies that bet on, uh, on us. Um, and you were the first one or one of the first partners to do that on um, with our CRM APIs when those opened up. And when we saw how much traction uh, the Panadoc integration was getting, we decided to um, invest in your Series B. You know, what's what's interesting is that you've started oh. to see this come up even more frequently now. Like um, I'm uh, good acquaintances with uh, Scott over at Troops and um, they, they placed a big bet on Slack, right? for their, uh, you know, kind of go to market motion and built a lot of stuff and broke, you know, Slack's APIs. And then Slack ended up being a, you know, a key investor for them. And I think Kevin, one of the things that you're really, sure. you know, passionate about is using kind of some of your experience and partnerships across Groupon, HubSpot and Typeform is that kind of, um, you know, startup strategy where Troops was a very tiny company when they made that bet, right? So if like, if you're in the startup space, you're in a super early stage company, like what's, what would be your advice to kind of leveraging, you know, API ecosystems as like a vehicle, right. To have a strategic partner and potentially even an investor. I think like, I've seen a lot of partners, um, frankly, kind of like half-ass the partnership, right? Like there, there are partners who want to build an integration just to have it as kind of like a table stakes, uh, level integration, but they don't really invest in the, in the partnership. Um, I think like what you did, Jared, which was very different um, than the majority of our partners was you built an integration, but you um, you were so engaged with us that I'm not sure PandaDoc was um, like from a you know synergy standpoint, the, the most special partnership that uh, I mean, it's HubSpot documents, could have had, right? it's documents, fact, it's not the, it's not the, yeah. you know, the, the brightest light, so to speak, in um, terms of software functionality. 
Totally. But what, what, where the magic was, was your engagement and like the aligned engagement that we both had with each other between Panadoc and HubSpot. And um, I think you could probably say the same thing between Troops and Slack, right? It's not like Troops is the most important partner just because they invested in Troops. It, like, it doesn't mean it's the most important partnership that they could have invested in. However, the level of engagement that Scott and the Troops team gave to, um, gave to Slack uh, ended up um, showing how invested they were and, and Slack wanted to uh, you know, return the favor with an investment because of that engagement um, and trust and the relationship that was built out of that. So um, I think like if you're interested in building a partnership like you did with HubSpot, um, your, the, the trait that you had of just cultivating that relationship, checking in, I would say you were checking in like weekly um, on us and we were communicating very frequently. Um, but that level of engagement alongside the growth and traction we saw with your product, um, that that's where definitely, I think there's, there's probably two episodes that can come directly from that part of the conversation, right? Like how to leverage platform APIs as an early stage company for, you know, growth and investment. And then there's also the components around, yeah. okay. Cause we did a lot of partner marketing together. Right. Like we, we published a lot of content on the HubSpot blog. Like I was writing for the HubSpot blog. Um, we had a, a dedicated partner marketer that we actually hired specifically to do stuff, right? Write content with HubSpot. We, um, I was in Boston a lot, right? Like I was on the floor with the sales team, um, and Mike and Pete and those folks and going desk to desk, right. And actually telling each sales rep, uh, at, at HubSpot about PandaDoc and what we could kind of do together. Um, and there's a lot of tactical tips that I think we could break down in a subsequent one. Um, but for kind of like this origin story uh, episode, so to speak, of Kevin and Jared, we're going to be bringing guests into uh, our subsequent episodes and kind of grilling them on specific topics. Uh, and I guess you could say the first topic here was like how to land that first sumo relationship. Um, but how this podcast even started, there's kind of a kind of like a partner story there, right? <laughs> so um, I pinged you what? This was just a couple weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, you asked if I wanted to be a guest on the podcast. And I was very excited because um, I has, have noticed like a big gap in content around what we do, Jared. There's a, not a lot of resources for business development and partnerships. And uh, when you said that you were going to start a podcast, I was super excited. I was first just like humbled and flattered that you wanted me to be on it. But um, I was just excited from an audience standpoint, initially, like I wanted to listen to this podcast because there are very few resources around. Definitely. Topics. And then in typical partner kind of fashion, like, uh, I was like, well, why not just partner up on it? Right. Like, uh, Kevin, Kevin's one of my favorite people in BD. Cause his, you're just, you're different. Like, I don't think either of us fit the typical business development mold. Uh, I don't think you do in particular, Kevin. Um, your story is definitely not one that lends itself to like, oh, I'm going to be a business development and sales executive. Um, and I, I love your story and like so, some of the things that you've seen that have been tremendous. Like, tell me a little bit about, I, I just, I feel like our audience is going to have to know this about you. Um, like, I'll just say one phrase, deadliest catch, right? Like all of your, all of your tags is crab fisher. So just walk us through that real quick. Cause I think it has to be said. 
Sure. I have a, I have a very strange story. I, I dropped out of college um, in 2003 and went up to Alaska um, to try to get a fishing job. I ended up uh, salmon fishing. Um, and then for five years, I did um, commercial crab fishing on uh, a boat in the Bering Sea. Um, and uh, man, I have a lot of stories around that. I won't get into it, but um, I did that in my early 20s. It's a young man's sport. And um, and then I uh, uh, kind of just fortuitously uh, got in contact with Groupon when they were just taking off in 2008. And I was one of the first uh, 100 employees of uh, Groupon, and that kind of got me into tech. And then eventually I ended up falling in love with, uh, with software um, along, along my path. But, in, uh, in similar fashion, I think there was... Were you, were you involved with the um, the Uber and Groupon uh, deals on the BD side? Yes. Um, yeah. So I remember reading about Uber in, uh, I think it was like TechCrunch or Mashable or something back in 2009, I believe. And, I, and I, I, it was an interview with the founder. And I was like, I bet his email address is travis at uber.com. <laughs> so I just sent him an email. I was like, Travis, we could launch you in every major city in the US through Groupon. And I didn't hear back from him for about 12 hours. He got back to me and he was like, let's do it. And uh, it ended up being one of the biggest deals that Groupon did. Um, and it launched Uber in every major city in the US. Um, and, uh, after I feel that, like that moment's um, really important in like your story in particular, cause like, look at Uber today. I mean, it's more valuable than any car company, right? Isn't, I mean, yeah. I guess not Tesla, but in terms of transportation companies, it's definitely the most valuable, you know, automotive transportation company. And it started with a BD deal. It's a B2C BD, BD deal, yeah. but it's a BD deal. Yeah. And I mean, if I think if I get any credit for this, it's that I recognized that a platform for uh, matching somebody um, to, uh, you know, a, a, a drivers with riders um, could be very interesting and successful. And the same way to bring it back, Jared, the same way that you bet on HubSpot very early. I knew that if I wanted to optimize the success of the company that I worked for Groupon, I needed to get uh, like a deal going with Uber very, very early on. And that would, uh, be the best thing for, uh, for the company. So, yeah, you probably don't remember uh, the, you know, the hundreds of other Groupon deals that you did, but like, you know, some of them you do, I'm sure. Right. But like that one is like, wow, that really sets the stage. That was my and that's, that's typically my, yeah, my number was... one piece of advice to, to folks as they're building out an alliance or, you know, BD program, like find that sumo, get that North star, get that, um, that first one in quick. Um, cause so many people like, uh, I've had a couple of people build integrations on the drift platform recently and yeah. sometimes they're, they're material. And sometimes it's just like launch the integration blog post tweet and then crickets. Yeah. It's just yeah. crickets, like no active installs, no nothing. And it's like, Hey, can we, you know, we want to do this, uh, webinar, this blog post, this, ebook this thing together and it's like no one's even using the integration like how are we gonna how are we gonna prioritize this like that's not that's not important it's not important at all um so 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 often you miss that sumo whereas today i mean i've like we we do so much with a very small number of partners today 
Um, but w- what about it at Typeform right now? Like y'all are doing some uh, interesting stuff and Typeform can kind of work with a little bit of everyone and everything. Um, tell me a little bit more about, uh, you know, are you building a platform at Typeform? Um, how are you partnering with people on the, on the ISV on the tech side, since that's kind of the, we're on this Alliance topic right now today. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's like, um, I'm kind of on the other side of the table at Typeform where we're more of a point solution today that, um, where we need to build, uh, integrations onto other platforms like HubSpot and Salesforce and Shopify. Um, and, uh, it's, it's interesting being on the other side of that and understanding like what our incentives are, um, from the other side. Uh, but we are at Typeform, we're, we're looking to kind of pivot into becoming a platform. Uh, we have open API, so I guess technically we are a platform, but I think we're kind of more known as a point solution and we're, um, trying to build, uh, more platform elements into our product, open up even more surfaces um, of our product uh, for APIs for the developer community. Um, so um, I think I mean we're certainly less mature than HubSpot was when I, I joined. But again, when I joined HubSpot, we were mostly a marketing automation company, and then we became a platform uh, by you know uh, b- building the CRM and then the Service Hub and now CMS. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're on the other side of that, trying to transition into, uh, becoming a platform and that's uh, really fun, really interesting. And a lot of challenges. Yeah, there's like an that. old rule, um, that like you really shouldn't invest in be- into becoming a platform until you're a hundred million dollar company, which, um, next week we got, uh, it's confirmed. I don't know if I'll leak it on this, this episode, but, um, we have someone that's built on the, from the ground up, one of the biggest, uh, ecosystems, uh, in the world. And I think everyone says that they, they should have done it, you know, a little bit sooner, kind of being at that, we're kind of at that inflection point at drift right now, where we're thinking about ways that we become more of a platform. In fact, we, you know, we created a category conversational marketing, and then we rebranded or said this category conversational marketing is actually a part of a bigger category called revenue acceleration, and that we have a platform around it, but that hasn't translated into the dev side of things right? And building that out. And it's something that I think is going to be very important to us next year, but it's, it's always interesting because so many companies are in this space right now. There's actually a lot of companies around this, like, you know, the trays.io's, the workados, the Zapier's and this interconnectedness between, um, software and SaaS applications, both big and small. Uh, it's like, if you're going to be a platform, if you're going to build a platform, you really better be delivering enterprise value beyond what you could do with Zapier or Trey or Workado, right? I mean, because most of the time, like that, that gets the job done for most most SMBs. A hundred percent, you're right. And you know, like, be, first of all, being a platform isn't just like flipping a switch. It, it, you know, like you you invest in it slowly. We're we're at forty million ARR at Typeform, and we're starting to like really invest more in it this year than we ever have before. Um, and once we get to a hundred million dollar company, we're, we're certainly going to be in a more, more mature platform space, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, um, it's really what we saw at HubSpot was very interesting, Jared. Um, you know, while you have a lot of the similar, um, integration functionalities and capabilities, uh, 
with some of your native integrations that you do with some of these uh, platform as a service uh, partners, we were seeing uh, a shift of like agencies, uh, like our digital marketing agencies building little tools on our platform. So we, we saw this like incredible shift of not just companies like PandaDoc um, and others building on our platform, but like people who wanted to start a business and build that around the HubSpot ecosystem or agencies who wanted to create a tool for their clients and sell it because they knew that uh, software margins were That's, better than service margins. I think margins. that you bring up something so, really interesting is that I don't know that people really think about like, should we invest in a platform strategy? But there's, if we wanted to break this down into more of a science, I think you could, that there are leading indicators of whether or not you could. And, and what you just said was, yeah that people were building businesses around your your value right which means that they yes. would continue yeah. to invest as you open up apis or solution offerings right around the services and the tech side and i think yeah. that's something that you really need to see if you're in business development at this you know kind of series b c d stage and you're like are we a platform are we going to really invest in this i think you would have to have that a similar leading indicator that you mentioned to HubSpot. Yeah. I mean, look at it this way. Like, um, you know, you can, you know, there, there are solutions that'll work for anything now, like you said, with these like um, platform as a service providers, but Shopify, uh, for instance, or Salesforce, like their platform is one of their biggest moats. Like if you're an up and coming like e-commerce provider competing with with Shopify, it's very hard to compete with, like if you if you need any tool to work with Shopify, it's been built by a developer because every developer that's building tools for e-commerce is building on Shopify. Um, that makes it almost impossible for a competitor of Shopify to just emerge and offer the same value proposition. So uh, what I like to say is that you don't have to be the most innovative company in the world if you're at the level of Shopify or Salesforce or Atlassian or Twilio, you don't have to be the most innovative company in the world. If you open up your platform and developers are building the most innovative tools on your platform. And when you're at that level, nobody, nobody can compete with you. That's what, that's what I love about right. platform strategy. And I think that's, a, you know, there's a leading indicator here. This is interesting where I think you could actually write about this, you know, leading indicators for platform success. Like, we built a Chrome extension on top of HubSpot CRM before there was any APIs. Do you think that helped strengthen the business case to yeah. go, hey, we need to invest and connect more? It's like, look at these people hacking stuff together, right? It certainly helped us put pressure on our product team to release more APIs because you, you, you and others showed that there was a demand for it. I mean, it's, it's very hard to get your product team to say, okay, we're just going to open up APIs before there's demand or before there are partners that are or developers that are willing to build something on it where you can kind of like scope it out with them and talk about like how how they want the APIs to uh, uh, to function. And, and so, um, yeah. Uh, it, you really helped. Uh, it's it's uh, not like, just us. It's, that, it's more about the, the learnings and the story that like, as people are moving from one area of partnerships to the other in business development, I mean, BD, you know, can kind of encapsulate three buckets, right? So channel, so service and solution partners that sell and trade time for money, basically, right? Um, alliances where you're typically partnering up, you know, 
Microsoft, SAP, Adobe, right? Or an alliance from, let's say, Drift to Adobe, where it's a much bigger strategic relationship and then ISV and platform. Um, I think it, there's there's not a lot of content around like if you're moving from one area of partnerships to the other, because there's a lot of horse trading in partnerships. Um, I think uh, Matt Cameron, one of my um, my mentors, he's ex, uh, ex-Salesforce and uh, ex-Yammer. Um, Matt said... He's like, one of the old adages at Salesforce was don't put the turkeys in alliances. It basically just means like failed salespeople in alliances or in business development. Um, and, and my point being is that I think people get exposed to different areas of the partner world without expertise of it. And it's like, oh, they're in partnerships. They know. And I don't know. There's not much written about it. There's not much that actually dives deep into, you know, what are the leading, you know, indicators of, uh, you know, investing in a platform strategy, right? Like, yeah. There's a lot of mystery around it. And and it's very hard to like, you know, like with sales or marketing, there are these very tangible, measurable ROI activities that these like reps kind of do. And in our department, um, it's it, it can be more strategic. Certainly there are ways to measure um, a successful partnership. But I think um, there's a lot of mystery around, uh, first of all, like what it is we do at a company. Like I think just internally, um, some folks don't quite understand all of the levels of um, what our role encompasses. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not always easy to measure ROI uh, for a, a strategic partnership or, or um, you know, channel sales is obviously easier than strategic partnerships. But, well, which, um, which brings, brings uh, this conversation to an interesting point. If we're kind of talking about our origin story and how to create your first, you know, sumo, it's like leveraging existing platforms to 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 nail your first sumo. Um, I have a topic that I think is fun around this, and that's um, there's there's not many books uh, around this, um, but I, I I say the word sumo because of I don't know if I were to give this book a rating, I'd probably give it two point five stars out of five. It's called the Sumo Advantage. Um, sorry, Mister, was the the guys from True Car? I think it was the true founder of uh, co founder of True Car. I don't know. Go- we, we might want to just drop yeah, it. Here, Google, Google uh, the sumo advantage. But one of the things he talked about in the book, which is I think it's so fundamental to partnerships executives, if you are trying to really nail that sumo relationship, is the power of a couple things. Like A, being an entrepreneur, right? Like you're making a bet on an ecosystem that already exists and you're, you're trying to go to someone much bigger than you and say like, hey, I'm going to be number one. So you got to have that entrepreneurial spirit and then B, that like you're crafting custom agreements, right? Like you're starting with term sheets and you're really figuring out and like having a vision for that other partner, like much like I did with you or like you did with, you know, Uber and Travis, right? Like you're kind of customizing everything that you're doing together versus accepting the terms that are already baked into the platform, yeah. right? Like I think a lot of yeah. people think of the App Exchange or Adobe or Oracle or whatever as, well, here's the terms of service. I go build according to that and everything's magically going to happen. Yeah. Jared, that's a great point. Like uh, the way you said that is um, is really interesting and or the way the book frames that is really interesting. But um, so like I'm an angel investor and I've noticed that a lot of the same principles that you just described, like apply to angel investing and in BD. So like to be a good angel investor, you have to like understand trend. Like I, I only pretty much invest in like B2B software. Um, 
so you, I have to like know the trends and like what's going to be successful, like where this company could be 10 years from now. And in order to be really good at BD, I think you have to do the same thing. You have to like understand which companies are going to emerge the most victoriously and which ones you want to bet on early and your success as um, someone who represents the business development department at your company really, um, I think, is, uh, it, it, you know, you have to have the trait to be able to recognize which platforms to bet on before they're uh, and, mature. And there's, there's um, some tips around this too. Like, if you're trying to identify your first sumo, I mean, you don't have to overthink it. It's like, who owns the most, you know, Mongol hordes of uh, customers that you want? Right. Like it, to me, it's really that simple. So when I was looking at yeah. Panda at HubSpot, I'm like, okay, Salesforce, they're more mid to enterprise, right? Like tons of SMB, but a little bit more difficult of a ecosystem to break into out of the gate. And then you have like the pipe drives, which was good. It was a very important partnership to us. And, um, at the time, but I was like this, they are going to take off like that is going to, they are going to be the market leader in three years. So we got to get ahead of it. And then the same thing, you know, being at Drift, like we have a very important alliance, like we were Adobe's tech partner of the year because we know that Adobe owns a relationship with the marketer and as the creators of a conversational marketing solution, like you have to be able to understand who owns the relationships with the customers that you want to sell to. And then you have to have the entrepreneurial, you know, grit and uh, determination to go negotiate something that's not boilerplate. But you got to be able to demonstrate yeah. with those leading indicators, right? Like Adobe doesn't happen overnight. That was two years of work with Marketo, right? And Marketo didn't happen overnight. Like we had an, we had an integration and built some specific values. So I think there's, there's a framework and a process that could probably be sussed out of this for like leading indicators of platform success and leading indicators of, you know, strategic alliance success, right? And creating those, you know, those agreements that, um, you, you mentioned one thing that, um, that it's, it's sometimes harder to measure the value of strategic alliances, right? One, one thing that I've seen is people start putting money on the table both ways, like signing minimum commit deals, mm -hmm. which I'd never been exposed to prior to, uh, prior to drift. And now that's, that's a fairly common thing. We should have a whole podcast minimum, around like that minimum commit deals, point. right? I've really never worked. Uh, I don't believe that I've ever um, worked with those, and I'd love to learn how you did that successfully and what the impact. Yeah, was. there's some there's some people that uh, are really good at crafting minimum commit deals. Uh, I know because they they made yeah. me sign them, <laughs> and now now I kind of use them the other direction too. Um, that I think we mm -hmm. we'd really want to dive into. Um, but this is this has been uh, a lot of fun. I mean, we've talked about uh, you know how to get your first sumo. And uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun as we kind of continue on this uh, this journey together. So, um, Kevin, anything else we want to say before we part ways? Oh man, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure we, we could talk probably about fifty talk other things. But we're gonna do. Sure. How about this? We'll set the stage for how this is gonna work moving forward. We're typically gonna bring on a guest uh, for a topical area. You're not gonna hear us dive into their background and like all this stuff. Kevin and I are doing this to give back to the partner community and kind of create a content, you know. Um, uh, database, if you will, on some of the best practices and tips of tricks of people who figured it out on their own uh, and who've who've um, crushed it and channel and alliances and ISV and everything. Uh, so next week's guest is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll say it now is Bobby Napletonia. He created the App Exchange for Salesforce, their first channel program. 
uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, thanks for tuning in to uh, Partner Up, the Partnerships Podcast. And a reminder, this episode was uh, sponsored by Crossbeam. Crossbeam is a partner ecosystem platform. It acts as a data escrow service that finds overlapping customers and prospects with your partners while keeping the rest of that data private and secure. So you can sign up for free at crossbeam.com. So we'll see you next time, folks. I, lo- I love it. Thanks uh, for listening, everyone. Really appreciate it. Take, take care, Jim. Cool.